And now from Glasgow's SEC, highlights from the Tenant Sixes football tournament. Hello, and welcome to Draw, Lose or Draw, a podcast covering all things Partick Thistle. On this special episode, we will look back at the 30th anniversary of Partick Thistle's triumph in the Tenant Sixes with the help of several experts who featured that day and fans who were there. First up, here's David Forrest who gives us a bit of background about the tournament and its history. Scott Sport, Scotland's leading sports programme, sponsored by Tenants Lager. So the Tenant Sixes was a six-a-side indoor football tournament. The way it worked with the Tenant Sixes was it was two halves of seven and a half minutes during the first round, during the group stages, and then there was two halves of ten minutes during the knockout stages. Goalkeepers could only hold on to the ball for six seconds and then had to release it. And from 1991, the teams are required to have at least one player in the opposition half, basically to try and get the number of goals up. And it worked. It was a high-scoring, fast tournament. There was two yellow lines that separated the field into thirds. And the idea was is that you could only shoot in the attacking third. And then the ball had to be passed through each of the zones before a goal could be scored. So you couldn't play long balls from your or defensive third into the attacking third, you had to pass it between them to create slick passing football. The initial tournament was held in Falkirk at Coasters Arena in 1984 and then moved to Ingleson Showground, the Royal Highland Showground out in Edinburgh. But from 1986, it found its permanent home for the rest of its history um, at the SECC, the Scottish Exhibition and Conference Centre um, in Glasgow. The novelty of it was is it was full-strength teams entering it, so it was 10 Premier League teams entering it, and they were sending their stars, so you had like David Cooper, John Robertson, lots of Celtic players, you know, we sent you know, a, pretty much a full strength team, and it was like that for the whole tournament um, for, the, for its history, it was not treated as an afterthought but over the years of the tournament no one was able to dominate it um, Rangers, Aberdeen and Hearts all won it twice but Dundee, Hibs and Celtic had also won it going into this, the 10th and final instalment. So what did the players think about playing indoors in six-a-side games? First up, here's Andy Murdoch to give us his thoughts. I'd played in the tenant sixes with Celtic in, I think it was 91. And I loved the tournament. Um, it was a different different experience because you were there with Celtic and everybody wanted to beat you. And the pressure was on Celtic to win it. We never won it. Celtic won it in '92, I think it was. And then we played '93. So we were, as I remember it, we were we were a late entry to it. I don't think we were initially planned because it's twelve teams in the Premier League then, and there was ten teams. But we we were in a week to go, and we were going to just take it like a laugh. Good bunch of boys, excellent footballers. We'd go, we'd just go for a laugh. The fans would love it. We thought we'd just go along just for the ride and just the experience. Next up, here's David Irons with his thoughts. When we were playing at it, it was it was something that we always looked forward to as a player. I remember I'd played with it, played in it for a couple of the teams that I'd played before I joined Thistle, so um, it was always something that was, you looked forward to. It was on the calendar and throughout the season. And the two nights at the SEC, you know, full house, I think it was about 8,000 every night, you know, so it was, it was, a, it was a huge occasion. 1993 would see Jerry Britton play his only year in the tournament, having been signed in the summer. I mean, it was it was a great um, tournament as a as a player, something different. You know, it was always a great atmosphere. 
think it was maybe 8,000 fans indoors, so it was unique, really close to the supporters, loads of kids making loads of noise, uh, and it's fast and furious, you know, it's like a bloody ice hockey game or basketball game, there's loads of goals. But it's, it, was, it was more like playing a game of five or six of your pals, you know, rather than a professional tournament, just really enjoyable and um, something different from training and from games, so no, it was, it was a, a brilliant tournament. To be honest, like in terms of like small sided games of football, not uncommon sort of in the early days of sort of association football in Scotland, so to speak. And um, if you look at like the Fissile Archive and uh, various history books, you'll see they're absolutely littered with five a side, six a side, small side tournaments um, that happened all over Glasgow. You know, charity fundraisers, things like that. So sort of in the early days, back in like sort of. I mean, in 1921, when we won the Scottish Cup, uh, we ran through a stupid amount of games to get there, and you know, nine games to get to the, the final. We were all guns blazing in the league, and we had like the cup, and there was players playing three, four times a week, and you know, the ones that weren't, they were going out and they were playing in five-a-side tournaments for charity fundraisers as well. So, I mean, even like our sort of our biggest success, you know, the 1921 Scottish Cup, there were small-sided games in that season as well that you know, impacted on the Scottish Cup final when we won it. So it certainly harkens back to the traditions of older days football, uh, where it was a lot more common. Although we went outside then, whereas this one was indoors. One person who didn't like the idea was Thistle manager, John Lambie, who refused to participate in the tournament. He never went, obviously. Jerry Collins took the team at the time. Um, so I think uh, the manager's very happy to let Jerry do all the all the speed, all the donkey work and get the team organised and John probably took the credit when we won it right enough but <laughs> that, that was it, it was just it was something different I mean um, to the extent that the manager never even bored his ass coming you know we just sent the coaches and the, and the players they tried to say it was because it was a Sunday and because he's religious beliefs but it was just because he couldn't be arsed <laughs> um, so he sent us along and as I say it was it was probably rather than, than training for for some of the players, you know, we, we get sent and it was brilliant. No, couldn't be bothered. That wasn't his, that wasn't his 40. That wasn't his 40. He'd, he'd rather have sat out with his pigeons than, I think, I think John Lambert at the time must have thought, okay, uh, no bother coming straight to that, no. Nah. But Jerry and Big Chisholm, Big um, Gordon, Big Chis, they took it. But I can't even remember as much Jerry's, no, I don't even think Jerry had the team talk. Anything like that, it was just a case to say, right, I'll pick the first team and then see how it goes and then you start chopping and changing. And it just so happened that it worked out for us. Paul McLaughlin may not have been the biggest name in the side at the time, but over the course of the two nights, he would rock the SECC with a star performance. Do you know what? At the time, David, if I can recall, I don't think we were doing the, the greatest. We were through a wee blip in the league at that time. Mm-hmm. Um... And then the gaffer just come in, and I was, was, I'm sure it was the gaffer was in laughing about it. And then Jerry Collins had come in, and then um, he said, "Right, we're going up." And he'd, he'd said, "This is the players that are going up." And like myself, I was near the, I was near the nimblest, and we're sitting there. And I'm got that's fine. So there was a lot of wee eyes, like English and boys like Sammy Johnson. That they weren't there, but you're sitting saying, "Ah, oh, well, we'll go up. We'll have a good time." With the January winter biting hard, the prospect of a tournament indoors offered a different, warmer form of football. It was probably like playing on this surface that <laughs> sitting and standing on. It was literally a carpet rolled out into the SEC and top of the concrete floor. You couldn't wear boots, you couldn't wear moulded studs. It was all, we all wore trainers. 
It's just normal trainers. Uh, normal trainers, right. Um, <laughs> it was uh, really professional and really high-tech stuff. You know, it was a carpet with trainers. A friend of the show, Brian Gregg, was at both nights of the tournament and recalls his thoughts on the format. It was like an indoor bowls carpet that they played on. Because you were so close to it, you could hear the squeaks of the, the shoes and stuff, and you could hear the... Oh, the language was just appalling from the players. <laughs> you know, that if the if the microphone technology had been better pitch side, the thing might have been cancelled. Well, you could certainly hear, obviously, uh, Lambie wasn't coaching the team. It was uh, Jerry Collins that took charge of it. And, you know, Jerry, well known, I think, for his industrial language, having been, uh, you know, alongside Mr Lambie for so long, you could, you know, you could hear every single word that he was saying to the players. But to be fair, you know, we were so good throughout the whole tournament that there wasn't, a, you know, there wasn't a great need to go full hairdryer on them. No, I know, I think it was just uh, painted concrete, to be honest. <laughs> but again, that's what we were used to. If we trained indoors, that's what you, what you trained on, so... Um, no, there was the, the game. Obviously, I, I would say wasn't as quick as it is these days, so you could probably get away with it a bit more. But no, we were more than happy to, to play on it. I'd say it was a, a change. It was good to be inside and, and bloody January when everywhere was was freezing. And it was a full size ball. It was a your indoor five side ball. It was a full uh, match day football. And when these guys who can hit a ball at a certain rate were smacking at us the whole time, um, being a poor goalie and a small goal, you were just a target the whole time. The players that we had seemed to be quite, they were all really well suited to that format. There was a lot of, what was it they used to call them, Jimmy Johnson, like Tanner Ball players, you know. There was a lot of that guys who were really comfy at just playing it off the wall, playing nutmegs, doing tricks, you know, no look, all the, no look passing before Ronaldinho even thought of it, you know. It was all, it was all very good. It's very odd to think of like Partick Thistle samba football, like, you know, Favela Street Football, Aces, Partick Thistle. At that time, when, when Andy and I joined them, and then when they started with the Premier League, it was the bunch of boys they had was the best. Uh, honestly, the crack was great. Everybody got on with each other. It was fantastic. It was a great time to play with them. It really was a great time to play with them. And then with the, with the tennis sixes thing, it was just out of the blue. us to win it, but it was, it was a great experience. But it was brilliant. The whole thing was brilliant. The whole the time at the club was fantastic. You said about samba football. They were all literally in their Adidas sambas as well, which was the best thing about it because they were all wearing the same trainers as we were. So that was it was pretty cool. It was kind of like, so if you think of the Masters football we've all seen in recent years, these are guys who are beyond their years and they're just playing just for fun and it's a really slow pace. You're talking current Premier League footballers. Uh, guys like Davy Cooper, um, guys like Owen Coyle, who were scoring goals for fun in the Premier League as it was then. And I think everybody started it thinking this is only five or six, but then when the fans get involved and you want to win and the tackles start flying, then you just forget. It's just another, it's another competition you want to win. Sunday, the 24th of January, 1993, with Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You in the middle of its 10-week reign at number one. A 12-man squad made its way to the SECC for the first of two days. Ingles, Andy Murdoch, Martin Clark, Don McVicker, Colin McGlashan, Paul McLaughlin, Ian Cameron, George Shaw, Jerry Britton, Davy Irons, Kevin McGee and Paul Kinnaird. Also a forgotten name in official history, Lee Palin, signed with us on the 2nd of January as a free agent, he'd recently been at Burnley, made his debut appearance that day 
five games, zero goals. Played his last game the 2nd of March, a grand total of two months with Thistle. He had lots of natural talent and abundance, apparently, but had fitness issues that basically meant he never got a chance to really exhibit that talent. However, he was in the Tenant Sixes team um, as a substitute with a manager. Jerry Collins and his assistant Gordon Chisholm. Nobody expected parties that's what you got there. We were just going up there to make up the numbers, that's what people thought. But with the, t- with the players that they had up there, I mean, I'd played with Jerry Britton before. Andy Murdoch, when we were at Celtic, Dave, the likes of Davy Irons, the likes of Wee George Shaw, Colin McGlashan, Peaky, stuff like that. I mean, big, wee, big Martin Clark at the back. Hey, cracking, cracking team they had, great team they had. Because there was some good squads and uh, some some really good players. I, I remember we played um, Hearts, um, some guys like John Roberts. You know, it was always, I suppose, the, the goal scorers that, that, that you feared. Um, John was a, a brilliant finisher, and especially in a wee tight pitch like that, he was always going to get loads of chances. Owen Coyle as well. Um, Owen was at Airdrie at the time, and similar to John, you know, renowned poacher. Um, so guys like that absolutely loved the, the small-sided games and, and training and, and they were the exact same in, in the, the Sixes tournament. Oh gosh, I, I've got a picture of my actually playing against Davy Cooper when he was at Motherwell. Um, John Robertson and Harps, uh, Hibbs had their usual contingent, Keith Wright, John Collins. Was John Collins? Might, no, he's probably at Celtic at the time, but certainly the D United, Aberdeen, I mean, it was your first team squads that played. I mean, Thistle, we sent our first full squad and, like, and every other team did the same, you know, so it was a, seriously, it was a massive tournament. Um, although we had a few um, goal-scorer Supremes of our own, you know, we had wee George Shaw, who was having the season of his life at, at that time on an Arden side pitch. George Shaw... I loved George Shaw. He was so, so good for us at the time. Really transformed the team and he was incredible at that tournament. Absolutely incredible. But the real star of the, the, the tournament for us, goal scoring wise, was Paul McLaughlin. McLaughlin, actually, I was a fan of his because he was quite, um, he was quite industrial <laughs> in his style. And to see him be the, the tournament's hero and the top scorer and like, it, it, that was incredible, um, and Jerry Britton as well. He was he was really suited to the format because um, you know his style was very much kind of collapsing about the place and falling on falling onto things, which is ideal for throwing off defenders in the the tight confines of a five a side or six a side court. But yeah, the the guys that you mentioned there were were really good for us on the eleven a side at the time. Well, I say really good, even though we were a crap team, they were the the real workers. And I think you needed that in the sixes because you you can't, there's nowhere to hide in it, you know. It's it's literally hemmed in, and you needed the guys that were just willing to put the hard yards in. Jerry Britton scored a barrel. He was excellent, great skills. Um, Big Dave Irons just cruised through it as he always did. When Lambie put him to centre back, he just became almost like Beckenbauer and just looked as if he nobody could take the ball off him. He was absolutely fantastic, but. In terms of five or six, we kept the ball better than many teams, that's why we won it. The tournament was divided into two groups, with the top two teams in each group going through to the semi-finals. Group A comprised of Celtic, Hibs, Aberdeen, St Johnson and Falkirk. An incident in the game between Hibs and Celtic almost stole the headlines from Thistle's triumph later on that day. Hibs had a very controversial game against Celtic. I believe they were uh, they needed to win by two goals to be a qualifier ahead of St Johnson. 
um, along with Celtic for the semi-finals. And basically, they went 2 0 up against Celtic, and then just kind of kicked the ball about. It's the, it's the old Simpsons joke of halfback passes to centre, centre passes to halfback, all that. And they just kept doing it, and Celtic couldn't get the ball. Which in that in that sort of format, you can you can kind of do it in sort of close quarters. You can, uh, you know, they were just passing the ball a bit, and there was a rule that you had to have one person in the opposition. The, the opposition half. half, that's right. Yeah, so they were they were happy. They were all sitting in the opposition half, so they had like five Hibs players in the, in the opposition half, and Celtic obviously had to keep one in the Hibs half. So it's five on four, and he just kicked the ball about. And then the, referee, uh, the referee blew for it and uh, for time wasting, but the the ball was in play. Like they they weren't like you know it wasn't like Thomas Cherney kicking the yeah uh, yeah. I can only imagine if Thomas Cherney had played in this, he'd he'd have been tried in the Hague based on this. In the newspaper article, I, I think this is from the Herald or the Scotsman, and it looks at the Scotsman, and it's like Thistle won the trophy. However, the big talking point was the controversial exit of Hibs, and then you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight, nine, nine paragraphs about Hibs time wasting, and of course, what happened is that when they blew it, uh, they gave Celtic a free kick. Celtic scored a free kick, and Hibs went out because they didn't have their two goal lead anymore. Um, That's atrocious. And they were, uh, yeah, Muddle McLeod was absolutely fuming. He tried, to, he 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 met the SFA to protest. He went to the Blazers that were in attendance and protested to try and get the game stricken from the record and. The, but the, the SFA's press officer gets a longer blurb than Thistle um, because the SFA's press officer talking about how Hibs time wasted so much. and yeah. So it's just really funny that we won this big tournament and about nine of the 12 paragraphs in the article are about Hibs getting controversially getting knocked out. Um, Always the bridesmaid. Always the bridesmaid. That's us. Exactly. In fact, that made the papers. I remember seeing in my head the clipping of the controversial moment and the, the manager was going mad, mad and the, because the referee had said they did this and stepped in this, did that towards the end of a game or blew the whistle. But for us, yeah, I didn't really care. Um, you get for time wasting the But the, the ball was in play. Uh, like, you know, the way... Well, they, they did have the rule that you had to always have one player in the attacking half of, this, of the pitch. Mm-hmm. So, in a six, so you're outfield five, basically. You always had to have one in the attacking half. So when you're defending, you basically you demand down. Mm. So the attacking team. So we we could have five attackers in the attacking half. The, op- the opposition could only have four players because they had to leave one in the attacking half. So so the the rules were there to make the game open and exciting and to have plenty of goals. And I think that was the attraction of the tournament that there was always lots of goals and games. So. Group B saw Thistle go up against Airdrie, Hearts, Motherwell and Dundee United. Welcome back to the SECC in Glasgow for this evening's second session of the Tenant Sixes. It's the turn of the Group 2 teams, Airdrie, Dundee United, Hearts, Motherwell and Partick Thistle. And Gordon McQueen is with me here in the studio again. It's warm in here, Gordon, isn't it? 
Yeah, and it's been um, good entertainment all afternoon. Terrific stuff. I think we've seen something like 47 goals this afternoon. It'll be interesting to see if that total gets beat tonight. But very colourful tonight. Patrick Thistle have brought a big support. Motherwell, as always, have brought a big support. And of course, um, Airdrie as well. And some local rivalry as well with the Airdrie fans and Motherwell. Yeah, we've been chanting from one set <laughs> to the other. Who do you fancy then to go through? Well, um, David Cooper, I think he scored the first ever goal in the 10 at 60. So I have fancy Motherwell to win this section tonight. I'm not sure who'll get through. Possibly Hearts. Okay. I didn't remember as much as I did until I watched it back. I actually watched it back in this last week on uh, YouTube. And uh, I, I do remember because I, I was quite surprised when I learned that in the first two games, which were seven and a half minutes each way, 50 minutes, and a small pitch, kept two clean sheets. So it's uh, David Irons. They get through to Palin. Still Thistle, knocking it about. Not getting any great uh, territorial advantage, but the break is surely on here. And finish with some style, McGlashan. Colin McGlashan hits it 1-0 to Patrick Thistle. For me, that was quite unusual because um, in the games before that, in the Premier League, we'd hardly won in the last eight or nine games and we're losing goals for fun. But uh, I kept two clean sheets and I made sure everybody knew about that, for sure. I mean, we were, we were chronic at the time, like on, mm -hmm. on the full-time pitch. I think we'd lost how many games? Like, we hadn't, we'd like conceded like, in every game for about seven games. And then first two games in this, we get two clean sheets. Yeah, we we were absolutely dreadful, but I think I've got good memories of Andy Murdoch and goals. I know he wasn't the what the biggest goalie, and obviously it was smaller goals, but he just seemed to fill it, and he was like a spider firing out limbs. Bowling again, trying the shot. No problem for Murdoch. We didn't we didn't concede very many goals in it at all, actually, which, as you said at the start, considering our, our form in the league at the time, um, was a real surprise. But I remember him just look. Because he was wearing tracky bottoms and just chucking himself everywhere. It looked quite painful. This is McGlashan. Moving it to Phelan. Chance on here for Cameron. And Cameron tucks it away. It, it obviously, smaller goals suited it, but. Um, the, the the style of player it was all very much uh, West Coast players we had and it just feels I don't know um, maybe it's my inherent Glaswegian bias but it just feels like the gallusness of the format is more suited to the West Coast they through down to McLashen and another goal for Cameron because it was over two nights and we were, I think we walked to the games both nights, um, it all kind of melded into one thing. So I remember indiv individual incidents more than anything. But a very confident first half by them. This is Kinnear. Well, it's coming into a route. Lovely turn here by Kinnear, tucking the ball in behind Alan Men. I remember... Um, one of the rolling subs <laughs> one of the, the rolling subs uh, the guy had come off whatever Thistle player it was that had come off uh, but had come off in a huff for some reason and slammed the door shut behind them and the guy that was meant to come on <laughs> couldn't open the door <laughs> which is just that was like peak Thistle William a great start to Thistle's campaign yeah boys played very well I think the idea is you've got to keep the ball otherwise you definitely lose was there any special preparation went into the sixes 
No, I think the boys have just turned up and put for the best and we've got a very good staff, so long may it continue. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I remember playing uh, Hearts, all, all the games were, were tight, um, I remember playing Hearts, I think we actually played Airdrie in the group and then played them again in the, in the final, St Johnson I remember playing them as well, um, but all, as I say all the games were, were tight, it was end to end. And a fine goal by Kinev. That's Kinev's second goal of the tournament. And from a tight angle, the official fans delighted. Um, they had a rule that you had to keep one player in the opposing half, I remember, which was great for me, so I didn't need to run back, so I was just usually left up the pitch. This is Shaw. Britain. 2-0 to official. The one thing I do remember about it was it was just plenty of goals and, and for us, the vast majority of them were scored by uh, Big Paul and his uh, bullet to left foot. Good one, this by Cameron. In the shot. Oh, terrific goal by Jerry Britton. So the perfect start for Patrick Thistle. That's Britton's second goal of the tournament. It was a great run by Cameron from inside his own half. Every team took it seriously when you got there. It was that professional pride. You wanted to, you wanted to win. And that's that's what every player, that's what you play football to do. And the sixes was no different. It was there was two groups. We played the group stages, and then obviously two semi-finals in the final. And I think we finished. I think we were runners-up in our group, if I remember rightly. Uh, I think we lost to Hearts. So we draw it. We lost some penalties because I missed the penalty. I actually missed the last penalty. So this will have to score here. So it's David Irons. And Smith is a hero. And Hearts win two points. It was a cracking experience. It really was underdogs. We were the last ones in. We were the, the bookies outsiders. But to actually get through it all, and it was fantastic. It was a great experience. Brilliant. Brilliant to be part of it. Fast, really, really tight games as well I, I remember but the main thing was loads of goals and uh, a good spectacle for the spectators. Honestly nobody nobody that, that played didn't make a good contribution incredibly. There wasn't a weak link at all? I don't think so no, no and you can't really have one in, in that format because it's just all action and you know it, it was rolling subs um, so even when they, they did get knackered you know, because Paul McLaughlin, for all, he was brilliant for us in that tournament. He wasn't the most mobile, um, and he was making all the runs and scoring all the goals. So he was coming off and on and off and on. But the likes of like Davy Irons, his style was more, what do they call it, a libero. You know, he was able to just stand and spray the ball about and flick it around. Uh, Paul Kinnaird, I'd forgotten that he was there, but I can now I can see him in my mind's eye now. He was a like, classic tricky winger for us in the 11 size game. He was really good, close control in the indoor thing. N not a weak link, definitely, which is incredible to be able to say that, actually. McGlashan wasn't, as as I recall, McGlashan wasn't as good as you might have expected him to be because he was a real poacher in the 11 sides game, which sometimes you quite you need. I know when you're playing 5 sides, there's always one lazy bugger who 
stays up front and tries to poach goals all the time. But it it, it did it just didn't. I don't think it quite worked for him. Or maybe he was maybe he was doing genius things that I'm not aware of and and making the space for Paul McLaughlin to get all those goals. Who knows? Let's see the remaining matches in Group Two tomorrow night. There they are. Airdrie they'll play Hearts and Motherwell will meet Partick Thistle. Gordon, what do you make of that group? It's been pretty exciting tonight. Well, it was another great night's entertainment. I mean, just stacks of goals and with a penalty shootout, long time coming, um, first draw of the evening, and uh, just great goals, great goalkeeping, and the crowd really got into the spirit of things as well. It was terrific. Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, what about these Airdrie supporters <laughs> behind us tonight? We've heard the song Ua Cantona. They were giving it Ua Own Coil. Uh, different variation. Yeah, well, I mean, um, they weren't singing those songs at Airdrie. The only one I can remember them singing was McQueen Must Go. So, but, but they really got into the spirit of things. They had a big support here tonight, get right into it, as did the Partick Thistle fans. So hopefully one of the two of them will get through to the finals. Good God. Well, that's all from the SECC for the moment, but we're back tomorrow at 5 past 11 for the remaining qualifying matches and the final stages of the Tenant Sixes 1993. In the meantime, from all of us here at the SECC, good morning. Second place finishing the group saw us advance to the semi-finals, where we would meet St Johnston. This is McLaughlin to shot. Irons. An excellent goal by Paul McLaughlin. His first of the tournament. A fine strike with his left foot right across the goalkeeper. So oh, Thistle right back in it. I remember the noise quite vividly because it was in that kind of echoey, you know yourself, there was always the, the thing about the SEC being famously terrible for gigs, which I never thought it was. The kind of gigs I was going to see was just, the, the sound quality wasn't the main thing anyway. But that echoey cavern, and you could hear the squeak of the shoes, you could hear the players shouting and swearing at each other you could you know the ball was slamming off the perspex and McLaughlin rattling it so hard into the back of the net you th honestly you did think the goals were coming off I, I spoke to several players about this and they've all said that the tactic at that tournament was to lump <laughs> the ball to you and then just you bloated it is it so <laughs> do you think that the, the format suited you um sort of enclosed spaces where you could just hammer it Five or five because see when I went out of the park with Partick Thistle before that we, when we played with, with Celtic the reserves and stuff like that was, hey, you were banging goals left, right and centre but then somehow we, we parted I don't know what the crack was I just couldn't score anything but then we just went up there and I remember the first couple of games it was just we were um, it was just, just involved in this noon again and then when it came to the St Johnston game I think we went 2 nothing down and just every time the ball came you, you knew shoot just shoot and just lucky in the St Johnston game it worked the first one worked too and then the second one it hit and it came off the, key, the back to keep one in still Thistle keep on the pressure played to McLaughlin and he's done it again his second goal of the match it's two goals apiece well some power shooting 
from Paul McLaughlin. Going in off the keeper. You know, Paul had a absolute rocket of a, a left foot and uh, that was really our game plan. Um, we, we quickly worked out, they just get it to Paul. Uh, and he was always going to have a shot and nine times out of ten he had it that hard it was, it was by the keeper before he, he could see it so um, no, re really really fun tournament well what a game he's having he's won it again now it's Britain just under four minutes left well, again he piles in the shot and Jerry Britton finishes it off this will take the lead and the fans celebrate Britain's third goal of the tournament. Well, again, it was a McLaughlin shot, and Britain was in there to finish it. It was like, um, what's his name at Liverpool and West Ham? Julian Dix? Yeah, Remember Julian Dix, yeah. Take, take those penalties at 100 miles an hour, and, you know, nobody's getting going to stop that. And McLaughlin's were like that, and they were rattling in. And the brilliant thing about being so close, we were sitting sort of side on to the pitch, this, uh, the TV view that you got, basically. Um, but you could hear it like rat on the goal net. Just thought it was going to come through the nets and out the back and disappear off somewhere down the SEC concourse. <laughs> you just, you just see it in Hall Four at the Ideal Homes exhibition. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. There's a little old how it's some McLaughlin. Okay, again. We're inside the final minute. This is Britain for Thistle. Irons. This is Britain. Well, he's so close. Still Britain, and he's done it. So his second goal of the game. And his fourth overall. Well, it was a bit of a scramble. Of course, he couldn't stand inside that shaded area. He kept his cool. So, Thistle 4-3 ahead. So Johnson fighting back. There are just over 10 seconds left. This is Dees. The final countdown on. The chance on for Turner. A great save by Murdoch. And it's all over. Delight from Jerry Collins and the Thistle fans. Thistle, the, final. the other semi-final would see another 4-3, with Celtic losing to finalists Airdrie. The team's out there and ready, and there's the Airdrie lineup: McCullough, Black, Sanderson, Coyle, McDonald, and Boyle. And Thistle have Murdoch, McVicker, McGlashan, Cameron, Britton, and Irons. The countdown's on, and it's Airdrie to start the match. For the end of the show, Colin Telford from the Only the Lonely podcast gives us the lowdown on Airdrie in the early 90s. Hi David, why is this? You keep getting in touch with me asking me about famous Airdrie defeats against Thistle. Uh, the Tenant Sixes was a brilliant tournament, so I was very young, um, but was lucky enough to go along uh, a couple of times when Airdrie were involved. Sometimes because we were high up enough in the leagues to be invited, other times I think just because we were local and as you've alluded to, a good team in those days. So Airdrie in the early 90s were a joy to watch. Uh, Alex McDonald took over at Airdrie, brought a lot of his players from uh, when he nearly won the league with Hearts. 
uh, and built a team around him. So we had Jimmy Sanderson, Kenny Black, uh, Walter Kidd, uh, added to some stalwarts who were already there. So uh, Johnny Martin, Sandy Stewart had been at, at uh, Hearts uh, with McDonald as well. Uh, two cup finals in three years, Premier League football, just a, a really good competitive Airdrie. Uh, and great in cups and I guess the tennis 60s was kind of a small cup competition uh, we'd done really well to beat Celtic in it so like massive victory we've got lowly Partick Thistle in the final uh, I think we would all expected that we might do the, the business there um, but uh, John Lambie's Thistle team so uh, again for guys who were Thistle fans in those days a, a legendary team to watch uh, and you obviously pipped us on that day. Um, so I wasn't at the final myself. Uh, and the tendencies used to go on so late into the night that uh, I'm sure that was recorded for us. We didn't know the score and we watched the back. Uh, and I've watched the final back on YouTube many times uh, because there are happy memories, even as a fan of the losing team. Uh, it was a golden age for Airdrie. And don't know much about Thistle in those days, but you must have been very good uh, to be a very tough uh, lot of Airdrie players. So a lot of the fans of the beaten teams have stayed behind for this final and they're both clubs out there have big supports and they both can beat uh, Celtic's goal scoring rate Celtic has scored 17 goals Thistle have 16, Airdrie have 15 and uh, Owen Coyle is level with Jerry Craney 8 goals apiece so there are plenty of incentives. Of course, the winners take away a cheque for £17,500. So an early shot going in from Black. And Jimmy Boyle. Um, yeah, I remember uh, Airdrie, because I always quite liked their strip with their big diamond on it. And um, it was really good beating them. But their fans, you know, it was just singing and shouting at them. And it felt like a league match. And it was really funny that of all of these... Teams for a so called <laughs> saying a so called winter glamour tournament. Haha. <laughs> um, the two teams that end up in the final are Thistle and Airdrie. That must really, really have annoyed tenants. Yeah, it is very funny that obviously, like with these sort of things, it's like it's like the, the Champions League where like Real Madrid and Barcelona and stuff, isn't it? They want Rangers and Celtic in the final. They want the sort of the big teams um, in there, and obviously Rangers didn't take part in this one. But they yep. want a Celtic in the final, and then obviously they get they get put out by Airdrie because I mean at this time I mean Airdrie were this is like right in the middle of their two cup finals, you know they're yep. in Europe against Sparta Prague and stuff like that, and they were a great t- side at the time. They were a very good side, and they, they they always gave us a doing, so it was particularly particularly pleasing to beat them. I remember though, um, because it was televised. It wasn't televised as live, but we got home in time. We bombed up the road and we got home in time to see it being broadcast. And it was Jerry McNee hosting with his big ball face. And he did not like that we had one either, which was really, really pleasing as well. I think from memory, they had, uh, Alan Lawrence was still playing for them then. And we bloody hated Alan Lawrence because he always scored. He was like Owen Coyle. He always scored against us. And he was really good. And you wanted him in your team. Again, very much like um, Owen Coyle and Ken Eady to conjure names from decades past. But then in the final, I know, I think we went one hand in the final. Big Davey equalised. Whistle in possession, it's Irons again. Davey Irons would make it 1-1 and receive the Player of the Tournament award. 
Vicar. Well, McLashen unlucky there. Here's Irons. Oh, brilliant play by David Irons. Well, he completely filled the goalkeeper and finished with great style. That's his first goal of the tournament. He looked up as though to cross it and uh, the goalkeeper bucked the dummy. That's the 130th goal of the tournament. Sent off in the final and man in the tournament. Man in the tournament. I don't know how that worked. Um, I think my goal in the final probably, probably tipped you over the head. Because I chipped the keeper in a six-a-side tournament. It wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> no. <laughs> the question on everybody's lips, though: Can you be the man of the tournament if you get sent off in the final? Well, when you were as good as Davy Irons was in that tournament, then absolutely. He played in white trainers. I seem to recall. I think he played in some kind of white Reebok aerobic shoes. I'd need to check the footage back, but he was he was brilliant. He was a serious player for us um, at the time, actually. God, I can't even remember that. Um, and it was very unlike Davy, because Davy was a consummate professional and amongst the absolute lunatics that, that we had in the, the squad. So, so that does surprise me. That I can't even remember that, to be honest. I do remember him being player of the tournament, but like, again, that's no surprise, because Davy was just class on it. Any football pitch, um, Lambie took credit for changing him from a, a left midfielder to, to a centre back, and it was a um, it was a brilliant decision because Davy moved back and his his play just went from strength to strength. Brilliant on the ball, really composed, um, great organizer, uh, and in the, the sixties he, he, he showed that again, just a, an outstanding player. And then we got a free kick with the goalkeeper. He held on to the ball. I think it was five second rule or something that had then. Yeah. And it was just a case of it, it was one of the ones that David took a free kick short. I went mean, I scored it. And that's a good save from McCulloch. Goalkeeper holding on to the ball too long. There's a five-second rule. So the free kick awarded. And here we pay the penalty. Paul McLaughlin gets another one. Delight from Jerry Collins. That's his third of the tournament to get two in the semi-final. And another fine shot. This will take the lead. And then in the second half, twice, when I got the ball, just opened up. I had a shot and never went in. Paul McLaughlin's performance in the semi and the final, where his left foot just kept, every time he got the ball, he hit it as hard as I've ever seen him hit a ball. And poor Willie McCulloch, the goalie for Ergy, he just he kept either hitting him or going by him. So this will get the second half underway. And they're now the top scorers in the tournament with 18 goals. And another howitzer from McLaughlin. Well, it really has been smacking them home. That's his second goal of the final. His fourth overall, two in the semi-final, two in the final. Despite going behind in the final and then being pegged back from 3-1 up to 3-3, the large Jags contingent in the SECC cheered on their team to a comeback. Oh, that was huge back in this. I mean... The final was at the, kind of obviously the last game and it was quite late on, I think it was maybe about nine, nine o'clock at night and they stayed singing and chanting and I, the, the, well the whole arena was full for the final so 
but the backing was brilliant. It always was. Thistle always had a good backing in those days, and, um, and it's good to see they're getting a good backing again. You know, with the current team, but aye, it was it was a real family and atmosphere, and it was full. I can I can still see the pictures of the scarves and the thistle shirts in the crowd. Gordon McQueen was one of the co-commentators, and he I remember in the footage he stated, well, Airdrie, which was his team. And Motherwell, there was a wee bit of banter between them, but being in Glasgow, the Thistle fans had more fans than any other club, which I thought was brilliant. Bernie Main Celtic played there too. Bigger switches it to McLaughlin. He's done it again. The light from the Thistle bench and from their fans. That's his hat trick, and the sixth hat trick overall in the tournament. Well, he really has chosen the perfect night to score the goals. McCullough just failing to keep it out. And, and I'll never forget when we scored the fourth one. We could have, I think, I think I had a shot to make it five, but the keeper saved it. But I'll never forget Paul Kinnaird, he was squealing, going mad at me for no passing it to him. And lucky enough, we held on and got the result because see if we didn't, I'd never have heard the end of it with him. We surely can't do it again. Another good shot from Paul McLaughlin. The break's on here now. Kirkwood's in the middle. Oh, a great double save from Murdoch. We're inside the final minute. Two incredible saves by Andy Murdoch. But Airdrie come forward again. It's Sanderson. This is Black. Now it's Kirkwood. It's swept away by McLaughlin. This is Kinnaert. And the free kick is awarded. There are 30 seconds left. The clock still ticking away. It's played to McLaughlin. Oh, it's Britain. He's given it away, though. This is on Kyle. Can he save it? Down he goes. Well, the referee dramatically waves play on. Just five seconds to go. This is Kyle. And it's all over. The light from Jerry Collins. Ironically, from the players and fans. given where the venue is and for the carnival, it felt a bit like a carnival. It was just all these sights and sounds and wee bits you remember rather than than a whole cohesive memory, if that makes sense. It was, brought, it was a great, great experience then with the crowd being so close to the players. It was fantastic. It was brilliant. 135 goals scored altogether. Uh, 20 of them from Partick Thistle. Partick Thistle winners of the Tenant Sixes, 1993. It was unbelievable. The back had you think the Celtic, Rangers, the, all the bigger teams, and then we was, but coming from Glasgow, and they, 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 they turned up for us, and it was great. It was brilliant. And... Hopefully they all enjoyed it as well. They seem to enjoy it, so... And there's a hero of the moment. Paul McLaughlin, a hat-trick in the final. And a double in the semi-final. It was magic to... Well, I have to take something back to the club. No, to still be the winners there as well. It's, it's a cracking wee achievement. Fair play to anyone else who disses it, because it, it finished in 1993. We all thought it would go back. In fact, I remember Don McVicker when I watched back the, the footage, it says it will go back to try and defend it next year. No, it never happened again. The Tenet Sixes, for me, have all, it's always played up and it's always been something that said, well, Thistle are still the winners, still the record holders. 
scored the most goals in the tournament with the player of the tournament, David Irons. It was just brilliant, absolutely magic. With the trophy secured, it was time for the after party, and there was only one place on a Monday night in Glasgow suitable for a Jags celebration. It was definitely an after party. I'm not sure if it was anything to do with tenants, it was more to do with Paul Kinnaird. I, I remember we ended up in the Savoy uh, nightclub on a Monday night, that was probably about an hour 20 brave souls in it and, and we were there with our tankards that that was our, our prize I'm not sure if it was filled with tenants only or if there was maybe other things in it but we had a good night anyway um, and I think I recall that there was probably a few free crates of a beer on the go in the, in the dressing room after it but no we had a, we had a great night anyway we had a, a great time there was, there was cans in the dressing room after the game um, I got a trophy from tenants for being player of the tournament. How did Paul McLaughlin feel being denied the man of the tournament trophy in his greatest moment in a Jag shirt? Well, may I ask you, Davey Irons get man of the tournament despite the fact you were the one who scored all the goals and he gets sent off in the final. What did you <laughs> think of that? Off, I remember. <laughs> no, we never, never ever mentioned. Do you know what? It never even crossed my mind. I, I remember Davey winning the thing, but no, I never even... I never even thought twice about it. It was just a fact we won it. It was no, I wouldn't think like that. That's one thing about me. I was sure the first time I think we all carried on with John Lambie and that, and it was the the first time I think we got into. It was the first year I was here. And then the second into the next season, I think the first game at home was against Kilmarnock. I think we won one nothing. I'm sure we did. We still in the first division before that was year, the year before we get promoted and. I'm sure we beat them, and it was Tommy Burns who was the manager. I'm sure we beat them one nothing, and at the end of the day, I get the the man of the match, and then I get tell to go inside to um, present it, and it was just Lambie who was gone mad. It was actually a butcher's or a shop, and they were giving me eighteen beef burgers. It's my it's my man of the match, and Lambie says, "For fuck's sake, that's all he needs." <laughs> that was just a title, man. It was just him. <laughs> but no, I never even the man of the match thing we at the fives or anything like that play the trip. No, never. It was, it was only two games that it really counted the five goals in the two games. I don't even know even know who ended up top goal scorer in the, the competition or nothing. The, yeah. yeah, there was a lot of goals in it. Like uh, there was a lot. Was. I, we scored we scored the most out of everybody, definitely. But huh. there, there was a lot in it. And with the promise of a holiday, if they won. Where did the team eventually end up going as their prize? No, we get nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we get nothing. We never saw a thing. I don't know what Lambie done with it. either him or the chairman got up, but I think it was 18 grand you go for winning it at that time. And no, no. We didn't even get a night out. No. Not a thing. But no, hey, that's... As he neither here or there, it was just a brilliant experience. Some fans might deride the sixties as a novelty, but where does it rank for the players involved in their careers? It's funny, I was at a pre-season. I get my kids again. We were at a pre-season game with Motherwell mm -hmm. in Fairhill, and Jerry actually took me into the boardroom for half time for a cup of tea, and I'm looking at the trophy cabinets. Ten and six trophies still there. You know this. Pride of place right in the middle of the trophy cabinet. Absolutely, as it should be. They could move it once they win the championship this year, they can maybe move it to one side, but as long as it stays in the trophy cabinet. I've still got the tanker, and it was somebody, somebody I knew at the time had got me in contact with somebody that got me a video of it. At the, at the old 
VHS videos at a time, and I've still got the video of the whole the whole thing. It's um, up in the loft in the house. But no, I've still got my tanker and stuff like that. I, I wouldn't, you wouldn't part with that. The only thing I will say is the year we won it, they just gave you the tanker. The years before that, they were all getting them in these blue velvet boxes and all that. We ended up with just getting a tanker handed to us. A carrier bag, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a, I don't think they were expecting parties to sort of do anything, so we ended up with just getting a tanker. Well, no, I mean, I hold it really dear. I mean, because it was, it was an iconic tournament. Yeah, it was a bit tongue-in-cheek, but um, no, the great memories from it, and every tournament you've won, even if I'm, I'm playing five or six with my pals, I want to win every game, so no different going into to that tournament. If I was in your shoes, like, I mean, you you were the star of the show at the SECC, you can always say that, you know, like, you think of all the, the bands and all that, and all the... The pantos not that have happened. You you've rocked. You've tread the boards literally at the SECC and gave a, a show stealing performance. Um. In terms of the the tankard that that we won, yeah, I've, I'm not sure if my mum's maybe she stole most of my mementos, my my mum and dad. But um, yeah, def, definitely still got it, and um, I know we've actually got Paul Kinnear's tankard in the. For her office, I have no idea how we ended up with it, um, but we might be able to reunite Paul with it at the reunion next week. Aye, I mean, I'm, I had a career where I didn't win many competitions. I, I was fortunate to win a few promotions. Thistle, obviously, been one of them, but that was a, as a runner-up to the to Dundee that year. We got into the Premier League, so I don't have a trophy as, as such to to remind me of that. So. To win this with us, so it was a it's huge, huge for us. It really was, and it was a real honour to to win something with our club. And it's great that it's remembered thirty years down the line. So I think it shows how highly regarded it is in Thistle's history that we're still the holders of the ten and sixes. With the trophy still displayed at Fur Hill to this day, the big question is: Would we like to see the ten and sixes ever return? I'd love to see it come back. I genuinely would. I think that'd be brilliant. Would it be the Tenant Sixes though? No, no, I, I want it back under a different name. Same format, but a different name because I want us to be the perennial Tenant Sixes holders. My exact thoughts as well. Um, yeah. The Singe Sixes, it seems it's such a shout. Yeah, the Singe Sixes, the Innocent Gun Sixes, if we're looking for decent free merchandise. You know, what? <laughs> as long as it's not the Broodog Sixes, we'll be fine. No, 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 it's not the Broodog Sixes. Again, you can't get away with that in this woke culture. We're not having Broodog involved at all. No, I would, in all seriousness, no, I, I would love it to come back. It was a really entertaining format. I, I like I liked the idea of those guys playing something, a version of something that you play yourself, you know, when you, you hang out with your mates and play fives or sixes or whatever. It felt like that, and that's why it was particularly nice to go and watch it with the people that I went to watch it with, because... That was like, oh, that's that's what we do on a Friday night, you know. There's us. It's funny. I was just talking about. I was out with my my kids last night for a bite to eat, and we're talking. They asked that very question, but they probably clubs would be scared to risk players playing on a surface that maybe not dangerous, but maybe detrimental to their fitness. Um, I think it'd be brilliant. I think it'd be a great thing. If not the Premier, then why not make it a Championship? First division, maybe tournament, but I know there was always an issue with the sponsorship as well because the old firm was sponsored by rival breweries at the time, and they so for a couple of times Rangers and Celtic wouldn't take part because they had SKOL in their shops. 
which is obviously a yeah. rival to the, the tenants. So, but it'd be, it'd be great to see again. No problem with the venue either. I like that in there. Um, the atmosphere was what made it. And I, I quite liked the fact that there was no razzmatazz. I know we weren't like that at all in this country back then for any sporting events. And, you know, there was no pyro before Six Nations games. There was no ball on a podium for a Sky game on the telly, any of that shite. But I, I, I do worry that if it came back now, that would be all you would get. They'd they'd bring the lights down, and as the players came out, they'd, I don't know, have pyromania as each player came onto the thing, and that would, that would ruin it. I want a flimsy door that doesn't close or open properly. I want the Perspex boards rattling. I want to be able to smell the Raljex. <laughs> Smell the Raljex, the tenant sixes. I I agree. So when I went to the Star Sixes, they absolutely turned it into like NFL Super Bowl. You know, it, it was like you know, like your, you know, the Saudi Arabia Super Cups that you've been seeing of like Spain and Italy and all that. They turned it into that, and everyone's eating their nachos and all that. And um, you know, I'm booing Jackie McNamara, and a child's asking why I'm booing Scotland. It's not the same. <laughs> But I do enjoy the Hydro as a venue for it. I think the Hydro would be really great. Um, that would be a fantastic uh, venue because it's like a coliseum. So it's like the Gladiators versus the Lions and six sides. I'd love to see it come back because if you've got a current group of players playing at an intensity that builds as the tournament goes on, that's great. My worry would be do the bigger clubs play their best players because it's astroturf because it's this and it may be injury prone but for me um, I would I would think the fans would love it and uh, for anyone who was at the venue in any of the two days that were there the atmosphere was terrific and the SEC as it was it was amazing and I'd love to see it come back my left field pick for it um, I don't know if you remember the Homeless World Cup when it came to uh-huh. Glasgow yeah Oh, an incredible three weeks of just, it was three uh, six-a-side pitches set up in George Square, and you could go in in your lunch, and there was stands and stuff, and you go in, and you could watch games all day, and you would, you'd be in work in town, and you go in, you've got an hour's lunch, and you'll go down the road, get a roll, sit down and watch, you know, Gabon versus Venezuela, 18-15 thriller, Um you can't beat it, like, it's incredible, Um so I think a, a, a tournament in George Square with like the sort of the sexy sides would be brilliant. You couldn't do it though because obviously any sort of sniff of vaguely big Scottish football teams will bring out all the the rabble um, to yeah. to drink in George Square and launching bottles and stuff like that. Yeah. So maybe maybe it should be in uh, indoors, but I mean I'll I live eternally in the dream of. George Square three pitches sixes turn over the week being credible in the summer. Yeah, well, I would I would love to see it coming back because I think not only did the players really enjoy it, but I think the supporters loved it. You know, especially young supporters have been able to get up close, really um, close to their to their heroes and see them play and to see loads of goals. Really exciting. I think unfortunately now just with the bigger clubs in particular, with schedules, with internationals, with Europeans, with the winter breaks, you know, it, it probably wouldn't be an attractive proposition for them and they, they would think about the risk of of injury. So it's unlikely that we'll, that we'll see it again, unfortunately, but you know, I, I, I for one, I, I would love to see it back. You obviously mentioned about how, at the time, all our players are suited to six-a-side football. Mm-hmm. I, I, I put it to you, our current team, can you imagine Brian Graham, Stevie Lawless, Scott Tiffany, Bannigan, 
and six asides. I've just, I've just thinking those for yeah, they would, they would, they would be good. They'd be really good. Brian Graham would be a good poacher. Lawless, great cross control, exactly what you want for that game. Yeah, Bannigan just oh he'd get booked though, wouldn't he? He'd get sent off very quickly. Uh, <laughs> for slamming somebody into the perspex. Um he's, Tiffany he's would, shunt somebody definitely, yeah. <laughs> Tiffany would be sensational as well though. I think that is a good shout. Yeah, we'd have a, a really good six aside team just now, actually. And Sneddon, I'm thinking about those highlights we spoke about of the weekend's game, some of the saves he made at the weekend, you know, that kind of close up stuff. Ideal. We'd have a good shout. But yeah, bring it back. Bring it back, cinch sixes, here we go. But no, not attendant sixes, they can never be attendant sixes. And they need never. a new trophy, no. it's not a continuation, it's a whole new <laughs> thing, they've nicked the idea, it's not. It's non-canon, you know, it's not part of the attendant sixes cinematic universe, it's a reboot, all that. 135 goals scored altogether, uh, 20 of them from Partick Thistle. Partick Thistle winners of the attendant sixes, 1993. And if Masters football came calling, would we ever see a reunion of the sexy squad to lace up the trainers one last time? I still keep myself fit enough. I still, I'm, now I've retired from the police, I still keep myself fit. Um, my nephew is in the pro youth at Morton. He's a goalie, Sam, Sam Murdoch. And the head is and the eyes are still willing. It's just what the body would take next. So would I say no? Mm, I need to give it a thought, but do you, go, do you know what? See if it just, just for the sake of doing it again. Every time I go back, I get the buzz. I want to play, but again... I'm now uh, mid-50s and it's one of these ones where Canna and Willa, it's two different things. 100%, it might, it might not be the tenants sixties, it might be the tenants sixty-something. <laughs> um, but oh, I would definitely be for it and, and I think you're right, when you think of our squad just now, you know, you've got some guys there that are tailor-made for small-sided games and guys like uh, Stevie Lawless, you know, Aidan Fitzpatrick, Tiffany, I mean, imagine watching them playing in a, a, a six-a-side tournament indoors, it would be absolutely fantastic. Whether we see it or not, I'm, I'm not sure, but as, as you said, if, if they're asking for uh, nominees, I would, I would definitely want to vote for it back. They've had the legends thing, kind of thing, haven't they, in years oh, gone by? That was going to be my other question. If you get a phone call tomorrow, the we're, we're getting, we're getting only, the team together again, the sexiest team again. Not I, only did I bring my, tool, my trophy, I brought my boots in just, the car just in case. Just in case <laughs> I game broke it. <laughs> but, um, Jerry and Andy are two of the, another two members of the winning team. So Welsh, can he'll, he'll play. I try it, I win it, but I, I know I was, I was the fastest then, I'm certainly not the fastest now. The old knee, I've had one knee done, I'm waiting on the other one getting done, but no, it would be uh, it'd be a good crack. I dare say the likes of Andy and David Irons, not nah, we George the show, I, I dare say they'd be, they'd be up for it. I don't think they've lost much, but no, it'd be a good crack. And there's a hero of the moment, Paul McLaughlin, a hat-trick in the final, and a double in the semi-final. And here comes Patrick Thistle, led by Don McVicker. So a proud moment for the Firhill fans. And there's someone with uh, a first-class view. So a delight for Don McVicker. The trophy handed over from John Hamilton, the trade marketing director of Tenants. I, I wonder. I wonder though. Um, thinking about the original format of it and the, the tournament that we won, uh, that the, we are the holders of and still forever shall be. Um, 
if Rangers had played that year, um, whether whether that would have affected the outcome or whatever is, is by the by. But the atmosphere at it, it was a nice. I, I know for all we were winding up the Airdrie fans and stuff. It was a nice atmosphere. It was it was quite party atmosphere the whole thing, and and it just would not have been like that if both halves of that lot were there. True, and I can only imagine the sort of team that Rangers have put out at this time. They, 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 no doubt they'd have went full all guns blazing and brought out, you know, uh, Mark Hately, Brian Loudrup, yeah. McCoy, started playing like a one zero four formation. Uh, you, you just know McCoy. McCoy would have been brilliant at six sides. Oh, he would have the loved it. He would have absolutely reveled poacher. it. The ultimate yeah. poacher and and the ultimate crowd player up to man as well. He would have been sensational. Loudrup would have been unplayable. Yeah. They'd have they'd have walked away with it actually, wouldn't they? Yeah, thank thank Christ they didn't bother anything. <laughs> <laughs> well Andy Murdoch had a terrific tournament and uh, that dramatic double save in the dying minutes of the final. I'm sure he'll remember that. Hulkenair looking well pleased with himself and another star player there, Ian Cameron. Patrick Thistle picking up the cheque for £17,500 and I'll also share in a goals fund of £15,000. But again, it's been a highly successful tournament. There's Paul McLaughlin just walking out of picture. He did so well. David Irons. And finally, Colin McGlashan with the trophy. You know, just in summary, I suppose it was um, really nice to... Well, it was brilliant to win it, obviously. It was nice to have an event so close to home, such a big event, actually. Really good to go and see it with pals. Uh, really nice atmosphere. There was nothing flashy about the Sixes at all. I'm sure you've watched the videos of it. Um, it was very much, it felt quite ramshackle, you know, the Perspex dugouts and stuff like that. And they, they would open the door and shove somebody on and drag a substitute off. There was nothing... Um, nothing glamorous about it at all, but it felt really like intensely exciting. It wasn't the flashiest thing in the world, but I mean, they had the tenants lager lovelies there. You wouldn't, get, you wouldn't get away with that now, would you? No, absolutely not in this PC woke world. <laughs> um, <laughs> it just felt like all these bursts of activity, and you were getting to see all these other games, and not just Thistle. Um, and it, yeah, it definitely felt like a really cool way to watch football. Probably more exciting than going to watch Elevens, if I'm honest, because you were <laughs> indoors for one thing, so that was that was good. And I don't, I think I used to, well, I'd go to the SEC for the carnival and that sort of thing, and and numerous gigs, but to go and see football and it was just quite, it was quite surreal actually. I can't even, I can't begin to imagine doing it now. And uh, yeah, as I said earlier, I bring it back by all means, but not with the same name. Congratulations. How does it feel to be a winning skipper of the Ten and Sixes 1993?
Thank you for listening to our Draw, Lose or Draw Tenant 60 special. This episode was narrated by Matt Greer, written and edited by David Forrest, with contributions from, in alphabetical order, Jerry Britton, David Forrest, Brian Gregg, Davy Irons, Paul McLaughlin, Andy Murdoch and Colin Telford. Thanks to Brian Welsh, Party Thistle Football Club and Tenants with their assistance with this episode.